Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We're holding the middle of chapter 9, page 954. He explained that the Pasuk says, Kulam b'chachma sisa. It doesn't say kulam asisa b'chachma. You made everything with wisdom. It says kulam b'chachma with chachma asisa. In other words, wisdom is just another tool that Hashem used to create. Just like action, just like we consider action. Action is a tool, action. And there's a huge difference between action and emotional and intellectual and spiritual. To us, that's one extreme to the other. There's an abysmal difference from uh, the spiritual and the intellectual to the emotional world to the world of action, the world of tools, the world of action. Um, so in comparison to Hashem, wisdom and action is all the same. Wisdom is like action to Hashem. You can't identify Hashem with action. Wisdom is, is a tool with which he creates. He created the world with wisdom. It's just a tool with which he created the world. Is it a synonym for the letters? What do you mean? Chakma, the wisdom, is, this, is it the same as the letters? Or we're we talking about two different concepts? Which letter? The letters uh, that it used to... We're talking about the, the idea of wisdom. The letters are the end, the speech. His thought, the speech, his action. But here we're talking about letters contain a content. The content of letters is wisdom. But even the wisdom, in comparison to Hashem, is, is like action. It's just a tool. You can't identify Hashem with wisdom. By us, wisdom is the greatest attribute. A person is wise, a person is brilliant, a person is spiritual, a person is loving. And there's a huge gap between, those, uh, between love and between intellect and spiritual and action. To Hashem, there is no gap. It's all the same. To us, wisdom is the beginning and action is the end. To Hashem, wisdom is the end. It's all the way in the bottom. It's all the way at the end. It's just a tool. And an, an illustration is, if you take all the sound waves from the highest screech to the lowest bass, What's thousands, thousands of wavelengths, difference? So the whole range of sound is a few thousand wavelengths. How many wavelengths are there in the universe? Millions, billions, right? Who knows? But at least millions and billions of wavelengths, different levels, degrees. So in comparison to the millions and billions of wavelengths, the whole human range of sound from the shriek, the highest pitch to the lowest bass is really all the same. It's, it's like it's one, it's one you can't differentiate it. There's no meaningful differentiation between the two. It all falls into the same category. It's all the way at the bottom. It's all the way at the end. There's no difference. So too, in comparison to when you talk about levels that are beyond human understanding. Take, for example, the idea of sight. When you reach 
beyond the level of sight, which to us is darkness. Of course, beyond it, it's not darkness. There are many, many layers, level, levels of rays that we just can't, the human eye can't access. just beyond human, human vision. But beyond that, there's a whole, uni- a whole universe, a whole reality of rays. And, but we, to us, it's darkness. We can't go beyond it. We can only, we reach the peak, the limit of human sight, what human sight can see in the spectrum. And beyond that, it's darkness. Not because it doesn't exist, on the contrary. So, if you take in, in, in relation to the full spectrum of rays, the whole level of human rays, of human sight, that whole level is, 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 is just a speck. It's, all, it's, it's equivalent. It's all the same. It's the end. It's the bottom of the spectrum. So what by us is considered the highest, the greatest, in comparison to the reality, which is so far beyond our visible spectrum, it's the end. It's all the way in the bottom. But the Torah is using a human analogy from our own, from our own experience. That just like we can understand that there's a huge difference between the peak and the abyss, there's abysmal difference from the beginning, the creative ability and the end. And to us, there's a huge difference between spirituality and intellectual and emotional to action. To Hashem, you can't make any differentiation. You can't make any real differentiation. To Hashem, spirituality is the end, is a tool, is action, is all the way on the bottom. It's a little tiny speck in comparison to the millions and billions of levels that are beyond the five levels that contains the whole human spectrum, that contains the whole conscious reality, from the creative moment all the way down to the action. Tools, action. The whole known universe, to Hashem, is just, is just the end, a tool, a speck, the bottom of the bottom. So if we want to attribute, uh, we want to praise God, God is brilliant, God is perfect, God is spiritual. All religions created God in their own image. God is spiritual. God is love. God is compassion. God is brilliance. Meditation. To God, it's not an advantage. To God, it's nothing. It's all the same. Action and, and spirituality is all the same to God. It's all the way at the bottom. It's a speck. There's no difference. There's no meaningful difference between one and the next. By us, it's such a huge difference. Spiritual. Even emotional, intellectual, spiritual, action. How can you compare? How can you compare a brute who only has hands, or only knows how to fix or to make, and a person of spirit, a person of love, a person of intellect, of mind, a person of meditation, a person of soul, spirituality. And to God, it's like a difference between the shriek and the, and the bass, the lowest level in comparison to the millions and billions of sound waves that are beyond it's the bottom of the level. There's no meaningful difference in one and the next. A few thousand degrees of wavelength that separate in the shriek, the highest pitch and the lowest, is meaningless. It's the bottom. It's the same speck. It's the same. It's all the way in the bottom. There's no meaningful difference. So to God, spirituality and intellect and love and action is all the same. That's what the Torah is trying to tell us with the verse. Trying to help us understand the distance. And using the human analogy, 
the only analogy we can relate to our own personal experience just like by us is a huge difference from one to the other and as he explains further even within our world which is only a five categories only five degrees of separation between the creative and the mind and the imagination and the spiritual versus the action Yet, we can understand that it's a total different category. If someone will tell you that I could grasp a concept with my hands, right? that would be a meaningless statement. You don't grasp concept with your hands. I grasp the concept with my hands. You don't grasp concept. You grasp concept with your mind, with your brain. The brain can absorb a concept, could get a concept, could comprehend the concept. You don't grasp Equally, so if someone would tell you, if someone tells you, I heard today such a deep concept, such a profound concept, it was so deep, I couldn't even grasp it with my hand. It would equally be a nonsensical statement. It's a ridiculous statement. Absurd. What does grasping have to do, what does grasping hands have to do with intellect? So there's no connection. So you can't grasp a concept with a hand, and you cannot not grasp a concept with a hand. There's no relevance, no connection. So too, if a person says that I grasp God, I understand God, I relate to God, or even God's attribute of wisdom, I can understand the divine attribute of wisdom, it's nonsensical. How can you grasp God? You can't grasp God with your mind. Not only can't grasp God with your mind, to God there's no difference between a hand and a mind. Just like you can't grasp intellect with a mind with a mind because there's a five degree there's a five degree of separation between the hand and the intellect but once you understand that in comparison to god wisdom is a tool wisdom and action is all the same spirituality and intellect and emotions action is all the same is the end of the spectrum is a speck you, you can hardly even find it so to say that you can grasp god with your mind is ridiculous, and to say that you cannot grasp God with your mind is ridiculous. It's simply, it's not, it's not a tool with which we can grasp something that's beyond us. Intellect, spirituality, meditation, love, religion, is simply not a tool either to grasp God, or to connect with God, or not to grasp God. There's no connection. It's so distant, it's so remote. If within us, where there's only five degrees of separation, we understand that a hand, you can't grasp intellect with a hand. So to God, our highest level of wisdom and spirituality to God is like a hand, is the equivalent of a hand. It's a tool. That's all it is. So could you grasp, if you can't grasp intellect with a tool, surely you can't grasp God with your hands. So to say that you can grasp God with your intellect is saying like you can grasp God with your hands, right? If someone told you, I, grasp, I grab God with my hands, it's absurd. Or if someone told you, God is so deep, God is so infinite, I simply can't grab Him. It's ridiculous. Even within us it's ridiculous. If someone told you, I can't grasp a concept with my hands, it's so deep. It's ridiculous. So to God, wisdom and hands are the same thing. Wisdom is just a tool. So to say that I could grasp God with my hand is ridiculous. To say that I can't grasp God with my hand is ridiculous. So it's the same thing when, you, when I say that with regarding my intellect, it's the equivalent of saying, if someone says, I have an intellectual grasp of God. I have a spiritual connection and grasp of God. I have a sense for God. 
through meditation, through love, through religion, through philosophy. Through my human spirit, I have a way of grasping God. It's the equivalent of saying, I grasp God with my hand. It's ridiculous. Or even to say, I cannot grasp God with my hands, or to say, I can't grasp God with my spirit, with my intellect, with my spirituality. It's an nonsensical statement. The gap between us and God is it's like the abyss. So where does faith come in? So where does faith come in? And that's what he's going to explain at the end of the chapter. That the faith is that nevertheless, although we have no grasp of God and no grasp, but nevertheless, we do believe that God reveals himself through the tenth sphere. Even though it's a matter of faith, because it makes no sense to us. How can God and his knowledge and the knower and the known is all one? How can God and compassion and his wisdom, the ten attributes, God and his speech and his letters are all one? When even wisdom is just a tool. It's like saying that you and the hammer are one. How can you be one with a hammer? You and the hammer is no connection. So saying that God is one with wisdom, God is one with love, the divine attribute of love, the divine attribute of wisdom, that's a matter of faith. We don't understand how. It makes no sense to us. God is so beyond wisdom, and God is so beyond love, and God is so beyond compassion, and God is beyond all the ten attributes, which is the model that the human being was, why do we have ten ten faculties within our soul because we create an image of God since there are ten divine attributes that's why and those are the tools with which God created the world the ten attributes therefore the human being is a model therefore we also have wisdom and love and thought, speech and action we are a model of God we create an image of God and therefore we can relate to God somehow because God has wisdom and we have wisdom God has emotion and we have emotion God has thought, speech, and action, so we can relate to God in a certain sense. But this is the divine mystery. We don't understand how is it possible. Because when we say that the ten attributes, we're not saying that wisdom is just a tool in the hand of God. It's not like we're holding a hammer. It's more like a body to a soul. The, the body becomes inseparable from the soul. The body is one with the soul, merges with the soul. The body's whole being and whole identity is nothing other than the soul. The body, there's no ego, there's no I, it's totally unselfconscious. The body becomes the soul. So too, the ten attributes emanate from God. They are transparent, just like the body. The body is totally transparent. All you see is the soul. You don't even see the body. You don't even feel the body. A, a, a living body is light. A healthy person doesn't feel himself as unselfconscious. So the, the soul is completely transparent. All you see is the soul. The soul wants to move and the body moves. So the ten spherot, the ten divine attributes, are, are totally transparent. And it's God expressing himself through these ten spherots. God emanates these ten spherot. It's God. Inseparable from God. Just like the body is inseparable from the soul, the attributes are... Ins- it's not like the hammer. The hammer is separable from you. You're not the hammer, and the hammer is not you. You're just holding the hammer. It's just a tool. 
the ten divine attributes are not just a tool. They are the divine attributes. God is transparent through these ten attributes. God um, emanates from within himself and God communicates through the ten spherot. It's God we're talking about. God's wisdom. The wisdom of Torah which comes through the, div- the wisdom of divine emanation. It's God's wisdom. But this is a mystery. This is a matter of faith. We don't, understand, we don't get it. Because if wisdom, as we just explained, wisdom is like a tool in the hands of God, and wisdom is the equivalent of our hand, it's the end of the spectrum, it's a speck, it's, it's nothing in comparison to God. And there's no connection. And to say that you could grasp God, and you can grasp God, so if there's such a distance, then wisdom should be just like a hammer, just a tool. And we say, no, it's a divine attribute. God is transparent. It's like a body to the soul. It's inseparable from the soul. The soul is completely transparent through, through the tool, through the body, and so too, the ten spherot become totally one with God, inseparable with God, absolute unity with God, with the essence of God. And this is a mystery. This is a matter of faith. We don't understand how it works. How is it possible that God, which is so beyond wisdom, is nevertheless totally unified with wisdom and expresses himself through wisdom? It's almost as if God concentrates himself Define, God defines himself, which is not really a limitation. The big difference. When something external defines you, or whether you define yourself. Like revealing what he wants to reveal. Right. And con- revealing, right. Revealing what you want to reveal and concentrating yourself. Concentrating yourself. So you're concentrating your whole self into this limited, but you chose to limit yourself. You chose, and you're concentrating your whole self into that limit. So there's a big difference. It's not a real limit. It's not a real limitation. It's not an external limitation that blocks me and that conceals me and that hides me. God chooses to define himself, to concentrate himself, and to reveal himself through the very finite, limited, defined aspect called wisdom. Not that God is wisdom. God, God is beyond wisdom, but God chooses to reveal himself through wisdom and through all the ten attributes. Why did God choose to do it? Because God wants us to be able to relate to him. Otherwise, we have no connection. There's no connection between us and God. There's an abyss. There's no bridge. Not religion, not meditation, not spirituality, not intellect, not philosophy, not love, Nothing. So there's no connection. How do we... How do we it, it, this, God remains a total... It remains dark to us, a total mystery. Inaccessible. God wants us to be able to relate to Him. Like the famous parable of Rabbi Dov Ver Mizrich. Like the, the, the father wants to play with his child. The genius wants to play with his little child. Einstein wants to play with his little baby. What's Einstein going to do? Einstein's going to reveal himself as he is. He's going to take the baby in his lap and start talking about physics and theory of relativity and, and uh, you know. So what does Einstein do? He gets on all four and like a baby and starts wooing and eyeing and crying, you know, and playing piggyback and horsey with the baby. And he's tickling the baby. The baby's having a good time. He's talking to the baby. He's talking to the baby's language. They're communicating fabulously. The baby's smiling. They're communicating. Now, did Einstein change? Did Einstein become not Einstein because he's, he's ooing like a little child? Imagine you open the door and you see Professor Einstein on the floor rolling with a little baby. 
Is he not Einstein? Yeah, he hasn't changed. But he's communicating on the level of the baby. So God wanted, we're like, out of love to us, his love to us. He wants to be able to, we should be able to relate to him. He's ooing us and he's eyeing us and he's talking to us in human language. We talk about this. So God concentrated himself on wisdom. Oh, now I can talk about, I can talk about God. I can talk about God's wisdom. I can talk about God's love. I can talk about a subject that I know something about. We can talk about God's compassion. We can talk about God's strength. When he strikes evil or when he stands up to God's strength. I can talk about God's royalty. God's communication. This is something. So it was out of his love for himself, for us, his unconditional love for us. He concentrated himself. In these divine attributes emanated them from himself. And he totally, it's himself. Who is love? It's God's love. God is, and the love is transparent. It's like a body that's almost out of the way. It's totally transparent. It's just a vehicle to reveal the soul. So the love becomes a vehicle to reveal the essence of God, which is infinite and undefined. That's faith. That's a mystery. The mystery of faith. We don't understand how it works. On one hand, God is infinite, non-defined. On the other hand, these are ten divine attributes that God emanates from Himself, and it's an absolute unity, and God and His attributes are one. God and the wisdom, the knower and the knower and the knower is all one, as my mind, and He says. And as He described in the last chapter, it's not only wisdom, it's true, knowledge is true with all the ten spheres. God and His speech are one, God and His emotions are one, His attributes are all one, and His wisdom. How does that work exactly? That's the mystery of faith. But we know it's real. We know it's a fact. Because God defines himself. It's not a real limitation. It's not like God is limited. God is able to concentrate himself and reveal himself totally in a concentrated way. God is not limited. God doesn't only have to reveal himself in an undefined way. God has the choice, if he wills, and he did wish, wish so, to reveal himself in a very concentrated, his whole being, so to speak, in a very limited way. But he, he cares about our, our speech, though, and our actions. Yes, so much so that he emanated from himself ten divine attributes, only out of his unconditional love for us. Because God, out of his unconditional love for us, created the whole universe, emanated from within himself ten attributes, in order that we should be able to pray to him and communicate to him and connect to him and talk about him and describe him and relate to him in some way. So this whole universe ultimately was only out of his love for us. So it was like that unconditional love between the father and the child. So he, he gets down to the level of the child and concentrates himself and reveals himself on the level of the child. In baby, in the baby, in baby language. So God, out of his love for us, concentrated himself and revealed himself in a very concentrated way. And the analogy is, we discussed, it's like, like in the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies had a limit. The Holy of Holies had a measurement. It was approximately 30 feet by 30 feet. And the Ark had a certain measurement. Unlike all the other vessels, the Ark was, the length of the Ark was in the width of the room. And it had, and it had, it had a certain measurement. You know, two, two and a half cubits, by one and a half cubits. And if you measured the room, the room... 30 feet. If you measured the arc simultaneously, it was approximately 
three, three point nine, three feet point nine inches. And if you add a third measuring stick, another two measuring sticks, from one end of the ark to the end of the room, from one end of the ark to the end of the room, you would get fifteen feet. As if the ark wasn't as if the ark wasn't there. Simultaneously, the room has a measured, a limited space. The ark takes up space because I'm measuring it. And at the same time, I'm measuring from one end of the ark to the room. One end of the ark to the room is 15 feet as if the ark doesn't exist. How is this possible? And it's not that, that it's a miracle the ark suddenly disappeared or the ark takes up no room. I'm measuring it. The ark takes up room. Or that the room expanded. No. The room has a certain limited measurement. And it must have. Otherwise, it's, it ceases to be a holy of holies. The temple was built by divine, by, by, um, based on prophecy. It was an exact measurement. If the temple did not meet the measurements, it was no longer holy. The holiness uh, vanished. So it had to have a measurement. The Torah prescribes a measurement. It's precise measurement. Down to the last inch. So it had a measurement. The room had a measurement and the ark had a measurement. And at the same time, it didn't take up any space. How is it possible? It takes up space and it doesn't take up space. At the same time. It's square and it's a circle at the same time. There's limit, but it's not really limitation. There is a definition, but it's not really a definition. It's really unified with the essence of God who's undefined, who's unlimited. At the same time, there's a limit, there's a definition, wisdom. Simultaneous. Because when God chooses to limit himself, he's not really limiting. It's not really a true limit. On the contrary, it it reveals God's ultimate ability. God is so unlimited that he can choose to, to concentrate himself in a finite form, in a defined form. So what's it really all about? It's not a real limitation that God is really limiting himself. It's the ultimate revelation of God, that God is able to concentrate himself not just in an, in an undefined way, he can even concentrate himself even, even in, a, in a defined form, even through wisdom and even through knowledge and even through love and compassion and all the ten divine attributes, through royalty and through speech. So this is ultimately, ultimately it's a matter of faith. We don't understand, we can't comprehend how the two work hand in hand. That there are ten divine attributes, and yet God cannot be grasped through wisdom, even through the supernal wisdom, even through the divine attribute of wisdom, has no grasp of God, which is beyond wisdom. At the same time, it's a divine attribute of wisdom. It's inseparable from God. It's unified with God. It's God's attribute of wisdom. And God and His attributes are inseparable, absolutely one, with an absolute unity. You can't differentiate between wisdom, understanding all the ten attributes, and you can't differentiate between God and the attributes. God is infinite and God is undefined, and the attributes are one with Him. So we talk of the divine wisdom, we're not talking about... We're talking about God. God, how He reveals Himself and expresses Himself through... The divine attribute of wisdom. How is it possible for God, who's so beyond wisdom, who to God wisdom is just a tool, who to God wisdom is the equivalent of a hand? 
like a hammer in the hands of the builder. How can you say you're, you're not one with a hammer? And yet at the same time, God is one with wisdom. When wisdom is so far from it. As we just explained with this whole length, lengthy explanation and analogy, that if there's a distance between wisdom and, and action, which is one extreme to the other, there's only five degrees of separation. There's only a few thousand wavelengths from the highest pitch to the lowest whisper. And beyond that, there's millions and billions of wavelengths. Comparison to the billions of wavelengths, what's this few thousand? It's nothing. Can't even find it. It's all the same. It's the end. It's the speck. It's all the way on the bottom. It's all the equivalent. There's no meaningful difference in one and the next. So how much more so? So too, when you speak about God, when to us, the whole human life, the whole human consciousness is, is based on five degrees of separation. The difference in the world of action and th- speech and thought and emotional world and the world of philosophy of, and the world of creativity and imagination and the spiritual world. And to us it's like one extreme to the other. The peak and the abyss. There's an abysmal difference in one and the next. But all it is is five degrees of separation. In comparison to God, in comparison to the levels, infinite levels that are millions and billions of levels beyond all of it or beyond the visible spectrum, which, which is just the end of the spectrum, and there's such a vast universe beyond it. So to God, spirituality and intellect and philosophy is like a, it's like a hand. Could someone say, I can grasp God with my hands? It's ridiculous. Could someone say, I can grasp God with my hands? It's ridiculous. So for someone to say that I can grasp God with philosophy, with religion, with meditation, it's ridiculous. For someone to say, God is so deep, I understand that God is so deep, I simply cannot grasp God through meditation. That doesn't bring me any closer to God. It's also a ridiculous statement. What's the connection? It's simply not a tool. You can't grasp God through spirituality, through meditation, through, through love, through philosophy, through intellect. God is ungraspable. We don't have the tools to grasp God. It's so remote from God. And yet at the same time, God is absolutely one and unified with the attribute of wisdom, with the hammer, that it becomes like a body to God's soul, so to speak. That God is totally transparent and reveals himself and concentrates himself totally and reveals himself through the language of man, through wisdom, through understanding. Now, ultimately, this is what he calls the mystery of faith. Faith, this is the theme of this chapter. It's a matter of faith. We don't grasp it. It doesn't make sense to us. We don't understand it. It's almost a paradox. But we believe that that's so. That God emanated from himself the tense we wrote. We don't understand how it's possible, how it works. But nevertheless, God did concentrate himself through the tense we wrote. Just out of his love for us. So that we should be able to... God speaks the language of man. He wants us to relate to him. We are this baby whom he loves unconditionally. And only for us did he create the whole universe. And only for us did he, did he create the world of emanation. Did he emanate from himself the divine attributes, the tense, the tense we wrote. That's really all, all out of his unconditional love for us. There really is nothing else. All there is is the Father and the Son. And this is just the baby language that God is speaking because... He wants to talk our life. So we could say we have a relationship. Exactly. With that. Exactly. That's real. 
In what sense? It's very real. When the father is playing with the son and ooing and eyeing is not real, it's very real. It's very real. So God concentrated himself and emanated from himself. So much so that there's a saying from the Ridov Ber, the Magad and Mizrich. And this is a very revolutionary statement and a revolutionary understanding of the whole concept of the relationship between the Jew and God. It says in Pirkei Avot, the ethics of our fathers in the first Mishnah, it says, in the second chapter of the first Mishnah, Rebbe says, Da malamaila mimach, know what's above you. Ayin roya, an eye that sees, voice in shamas, an ear that hears. All your actions are written, are written, are recorded. So he interprets that it means you should know. It's important for a Jew to remember. What happens above? In the divine spheres. Not only in the heavens, in the spiritual realms, but even in the divine spheres, the ten spherot, the, the world of emanation. It all comes from you. It's all in your hands. Who makes God compassion? It's all for you. Because God for His unconditional love for you. Therefore He concentrated Himself and revealed from Himself and reveals Himself through compassion. It's all for you and about you. And therefore you're in control. If you act compassionate, you, then God will concentrate Himself and reveal Himself through compassion. If you act, the Baal Shem Tov said, King David says, Hashem Tzilcha, God is your shadow. He says, yeah, God is your shadow. The way you act is exactly the way God acts. Measure for measure. Because God is so infinitely remote and removed from our whole world, our whole known universe, the whole conscious universe, from the highest spiritual realms to the, all the way to the bottom, that God is all the same. It's all the bottom, it's the end, it's nothing, it's meaningless, it's a speck. So the only differentiation, the, that whole... The only reason why it's meaningful, why God reveals Himself through the attributes, is only as a result of your actions. When you act compassionate, you cause God to concentrate Himself and reveal Himself through compassion. When you study Torah, you cause God to reveal Himself through the attribute of wisdom. If you're joyous and optimistic and positive, you cause God to be joyous and to smile. And to, If you're joyous, God is joyous. If you're sad, God is sad. Measure for measure. So in a sense, we are really in the driver's seat. The whole known universe. And Hashem emanates from Himself and concentrates Himself and reveals Himself through the very defined attributes only in response to us. Only because of His love for us. When He created the world initially, He did it out of His love for us. After He created the world, it's only in response to us that Hashem responds to us. When we show attributes of mercy and compassion, Hashem reveals Himself through the attribute of mercy and compassion. So we are really in the driver's seat. We create in a certain way. We create. We make it happen. Which is, which is a radical, revolutionary understanding of reality. It's not that we're passive. We're not passive. A Jew is called Israel. You know what Israel means? Israel means 
first time Yaakov was called Yisrael. Why did God call him Yisrael? When he wrestled with the angel. And he mastered the angel. Because you mastered and you, you won over the angel. Malakim literally means angel, but on a deeper level, Yisrael, if you turn the letters around, is Lirosh. God says, the Jewish people are my head. They even master God. A decision in Torah, God respects the decisions of the rabbis, even if it goes against the decision of God, so to speak. A Jew is a master. A Jew is in control of the whole universe, of the whole world. Not just the physical world, not just the spiritual world, even the divine world. A Jew is in total, is in charge, Jew is in control. We are in the driver's seat. Whatever you do, Hashem is going to respond. If you go out of your limit, you push yourself, Hashem will go out of His limit, so to speak, and change nature for you, and create miracles for you, breakthroughs. If you have breakthroughs in your spiritual life, in your personal life, Hashem will create breakthroughs in your physical life. If you smile and you're joyous and positive and optimistic and think positive, Hashem will also think positive and things will have turn out positive. If you're sad and negative, then you create that also. You're in the driver's seat. Because Hashem is so infinitely removed and remote from all of that, the only reason He's concentrating and focusing into these so narrow, defined... It's like taking, just imagine, taking billions of, you know, the billions and levels that are beyond, the, the billions of levels of wavelengths and trying to concentrate it into a tiny, narrow little spectrum. It's impossible. But God can do that. God can take the seemingly infinite and concentrate it into the narrowest place. Because God chose to concentrate Himself and to reveal Himself through these very defined attributes. But the only reason he's doing it is for us, out of his love for us. And therefore, we are really in the driver's seat. And with this, we understand a lot of Midrashim. Medrash says that when a Jew sins, God says, you're making me weak. Or God tells Moshe, you made me strong. What do you mean you make God strong, you make God weak? Because it's only a result of our actions. It's a result of our, what's going on inside of our hearts, what goes on inside of us, that we cause God to reveal Himself in a revealed way, in a strong way. And when there's inner weakness within us, we cause God also to become more remote and removed. And therefore there's no visible manifestation. So not only do we have a relationship with God, we are in the driver's seat. We are creators. We are the movers and shakers. The whole world depends on the Jew. The whole world. The Jew is the foundation of the world. The, the rabbis have the power to literally change the whole universe. Joshua stopped the sun. He had the power to stop the sun. The whole universe is, is like a clay, is like Play-Doh in the hands of a Jew. Those tzaddikim who mastered the Torah mastered the whole universe. Because Hashem put us in the driver's Because all the whole universe, which originates with the divine creativity and the ten divine attributes, is really just a God concentrating out of His unconditional love for us. And He does it for us. And now it's totally up to us. 
That's why on Rosh Hashanah, we want God, God is recreating the world, we want God to be a king over us. It's all up to us. It's up to the Jew. The Jew comes to Shul, and the Jew coronates God as king of the universe, blows the shoifer and says, I accept God as my sovereign, as my personal king. We arouse within God the willingness to be king, to want to create the world over again. It's all up to us. When we are joyous, Hashem is joyous. We have to bring Mashiach. Our one good deed, our one good speech. This is halacha. This is not just a radical statement. This is a, a clear, crystal clear halacha. That every Jew is obligated to constantly view himself and view the world as being on an equal scale. And by you doing a single mitzvah, either in thought, speech, or action, you single-handedly have the power to tip the scale and bring redemption to the whole world. Single-handedly. It's all in your hands. This mystery of faith brings us, doesn't, doesn't remove God from us on the country. It brings God right in our lap. It brings God right, right home. How close we are. How intimate we are. How much God cares. How involved God is. And how involved we have to be. Because if God, if out of His love for us, He is concentrating himself then we can't help but respond in kind we have to also concentrate and focus and relate and connect so if God is focusing on us we also have to focus on him okay uh, inside we're on page 954 we learned last week that you can't ascribe to God anything pertaining to wisdom because even even to say that God is so lofty and God is so sublime that God transcends wisdom. Just like we cannot understand, can't grasp God. Because the whole understanding, the whole world of understanding and the whole spiritual world is no connection to God. It's so distant, so remote from God. So too, you can't say that God is so lofty and God is so sublime that we can't, we can't relate to God. Because He's simply not within the realm of comprehension. Okay, the third paragraph, 954. Hugh states that, is imp- that it is impossible to comprehend Him is like one who says of some lofty and profound concept that it cannot be touched with the hands because of the depth of the concept. Whoever hears this will mock Him because the sense of touch refers and applies only to physical objects which may be grasped by the hand. Exactly so, the level of intellect and comprehension in relation to the Holy One, blessed be He, is considered as actual physical action. Even the comprehension of the superior and spiritual intelligences in the higher worlds and even the level of supernal wisdom in the world of Atzilat, which gives life to them all, is considered so in relation to the Holy One, blessed be He. As it is written, you have made them all with wisdom. All of creation is rooted in the wisdom of Atzilat. Nevertheless, even the supernal wisdom of Atzilat is considered as action in relation to God. 
of God transcends it infinitely. It is thus impossible to say that God can or cannot be apprehended through intellect, inasmuch as intellect and wisdom are not at all the means by which God can be grasped. As for the Holy One, blessed be He, being called wise in Scripture, and our sages of blessed memory have also referred to Him with epithets denoting the quality and level of wisdom. Ah, so the question is, if God is so remote and God is so removed and you can't, there's no relationship to wisdom, so much so you can't even say that God is not wisdom because so there's no connection to wisdom. So why does the verse refer to God as wise? God is wise. God is compassionate. When there's no connection between God and compassion, there's no connection between God and wisdom. When you say that wisdom is just a tool in the hands of God, it's the end of the spectrum. So how can you say, how can the verse attribute all these attributes to God? And the answer is... This is because he is the source of wisdom. For from him issues and emanates the essence of the level of supernal wisdom, which is in the world of Atzira. So, right, we're not saying that God is wisdom. But since God is the source of wisdom, he emanates wisdom from himself... He emanates compassion from himself. God is not limited. God could emanate from himself even wisdom and compassion. And therefore, since it emanates from God, he's the source. That's why we call God wisdom. Not that God is wisdom. God is the source of wisdom. Source of wisdom. Likewise, he is called merciful and kind, even though he utterly transcends mercy and kindness, because he is the source of mercy and kindness. And likewise, regarding the other emotive attributes, God is referred to by the names of the other attributes because he is their source. For they all proceed and emanate from him. The manner and nature of the flow of an emanation, how and what, how the intellectual and emotive attributes emanate from the Ein Sof, which totally transcends them, and exactly what they are, for after they have emanated from him, they are wholly united with him. Is known to the savants. Right, so he said this is a question of faith. We don't, you know, those who know Kabbalah, those who know Kabbalah well, have an understanding how this works, how God emanates from within himself. These attributes which are like almost creations because they're totally finite and limited and defined, you know, wisdom is not, is not uh, emotion, is not compassion. How can you say that God emanates from within himself something that's limited and defined? So how this works exactly, from something infinite, how does God emanate something intellectual and emotional and spiritual, things that are limited and finite? Um, this is something that those who know Kabbalah, delve into Kabbalah, uh, are knowledgeable. But nevertheless, Al-Tarebi does put in the note. I'm going to learn the note. Maybe we should first, let's first finish the paragraph, the inside, and then we'll go back to the note. He will try to explain it somehow, how these tzimtzumim work. How do we get from the infinite to the level of the world of emanation? Page 958, the second paragraph. Now we are not concerned with esoteric matters. How the emanations of the Sephirot and the Ein Sof light came about and the subsequent manner of their unity with him, but it is incumbent upon us to believe with complete faith matters that are revealed to us, that he and his attributes, for instance, the vessels and sifferot, are one. 
Right. So we don't understand how, even if we're not Kabbalist and we have no understanding of the workings of Kabbalah, but we are Jews and we believe with complete faith that we talk of God's wisdom, God and His wisdom are one, God is wise, God is compassionate, God is strong, and we're talking about God. We're not worshipping, um, we're not worshipping, God forbid, there's nothing but God. God is an absolute unity, there's nothing but God. God and His wisdom are absolutely one, are absolutely unified. So, um, we accept it with complete faith. We believe with complete faith that God and His attributes are totally one and absolutely one. Just like the body becomes one with the soul, so too the attributes of God become totally one with Him and are inseparable from Him. And, and uh, God is totally transparent. God's infinity is totally transparent through these attributes. Okay, i.e. i.e. the attributes of the Holy One, blessed be He and His will and His wisdom and understanding and knowledge, are one with his essence and being. Who alone is exalted by infinite elevations above the level of wisdom, wisdom and intellect and comprehension. Hence, since he totally transcends intellect and comprehension, his union with the attributes which he emanated from himself is also beyond the realm of comprehension, i.e. it is impossible to understand how he unites with them. Rather, this may be apprehended only through faith. In the Holy Zohar, therefore, the attributes of the Holy One, blessed be He, which are the Sephirot, are called the secret of faith, which is the faith that transcends intellect. But this concept cannot be grasped intellectually, but only through faith. So, ultimately, it's a matter of faith. We believe God's essence, we believe that God is infinite, we believe that God is absolutely one, God is absolutely unified, Him and His intellect and His compassion and all His attributes are absolutely one. We believe that God is not a composite. God is an absolute unity, as Maimonides says. How is it possible? It's a mystery. You don't understand. It's beyond that human grasp. God and his wisdom is one. God and emotions are one. His emotional attributes are one. God and compassion are one. When it's so remote and so removed, this is a mystery of faith. We don't understand. But God has the ability to emanate from within himself, just like God has the ability to express himself in an infinite way. God has the ability to express himself in a finite way. God chooses to concentrate Himself, to define the undefined. Only God has the ability to define the undefined, to concentrate His whole infinite essence. As the Talmud says, Tzimtzim Shechinaseim Aron. Hashem concentrated His presence through the poles of the Aron, of the Ark. God concentrated His essence in the holiness of the Temple. God is infinite and God is found in a piece of real estate, in a limited, find in a temple mount, in a mountaintop, in the Holy Land of Israel, in Jerusalem, in a temple mount, in the holies, in the Holy of Holies. Yes, God concentrated Himself and revealed Himself. His whole essence is concentrated and revealed in that point, in that spot. So much so, wherever a Jew prays three times a day throughout the world, a Jew faces the spot of the Holy of Holies. All our prayers enter to heaven through the Holy of Holies. Prayer is spiritual. Why are we physically turning our bodies to a geographic location? Because God concentrated His essence in that geographic spot, the Holy of Holies. So God, it's a mystery. We can't understand how that's possible. But God is so beyond, is so undefined, is so beyond, that God has the ability to choose to concentrate His essence and reveal Himself through the ten attributes. 
through wisdom. So much so that the wisdom becomes inseparable from God. It becomes like God's body. God is totally transparent through it. How is it possible? It's a mystery. You don't understand it. It's beyond that human grasp. But we believe it so. And therefore we talk about God's wisdom and we talk about God's love and God's compassion and God's strength and God's speech and God's royalty and God's beauty and wisdom, etc. Knowledge. Divine providence and knowledge and awareness. God's getting angry or God's getting excited or God's joy or God's ecstasy or God's crying. So this is the mystery. And now let's just get back to the note, page 956. The Alpid Rebbe will now briefly explain various symptoms that had to take place in order to enable the attributes of Atzilut to emanate from the infinite Ains of Light. So there are different levels of symptoms. Symptom is the idea of concentrating, of, of reducing and concentrating. There are different types of symptoms. There is the symptom that we discussed at length in chapter 7. Symptom Harisha in the first symptom, which was the ultimate symptom, which was a radical leap, quantum leap. Before that, God's infinite self was manifest, and there was no room for anything, for anyone. And then God created a symptom we totally withdrew and created an empty space, so to speak, that enabled, that allowed for something outside of him, which was like a radical leap, a quantum leap. That's the first symptom. The before the symptom, God's infinite manifestation was predominant. Symptom causes capacity for limitation and finitude, which previously had been submerged within his infinite power to be revealed. Before that, they were totally submerged within it. But as a result of the tzimtzum, the words, the power of limitation suddenly emerge. And the analogy of Einstein. Einstein has no way to communicate his brilliance to his students. He'll just dazzle them, he'll overwhelm them, but they won't be able to grasp. So Einstein has to totally remove himself. And he has to put himself into the shoes of his students. And he has to come up with analogies and similes and and uh, parables and trying to concentrate his idea on a level they can understand. And once he does find the right words, where were these words? Where did these analogies come from and these parables and these language to be able to communicate his concept in a concentrated form to his students? It came from him. They were there all along. But Einstein couldn't even find it in himself. Because his brilliant light, the brilliant light of his mind, totally, the letters and the words and the language that he needs to communicate to his students was totally hidden and submerged. He didn't even feel it in himself. He didn't even know that he had it inside of him. But only after totally removing himself, so to speak, and forgetting about himself, and putting himself in your shoes, putting himself in your mind, in your head, and thinking of the student's mind, and putting himself in their shoes, and and coming up with language, he was able to discover those words and letters that existed within himself. So to, so to speak, and before the symptom, God's infinite light was manifest. There was no room for anything else. Then God removed himself, so to speak, forgot about himself, so to speak. Self-forgetfulness. And concentrated on us. Put himself in our shoes, so to speak. And he came up with language that could relate to us, our finite selves, a world with words and concepts and, and uh, definitions. So God 
So God had to find within himself, so to speak, the power that God has to be finite also. God is not, just like God could be infinite, God could be finite. But that ability to be finite was totally submerged within God. It's the letters of God. Where were those letters? Those letters were totally hidden. Just like within us, before you speak. Before you even have words. You don't even have words. The words are there, but they're not there. You don't even know you have it. Then you think and you come up with words. Where do the words come from? They don't come from thin air. They come from within you. So those words were there, but the words were totally submerged. They were hidden. They were as if non-existent. It's only when you start thinking about and trying to put into words that words emerge and you find the right words. So the words were there, but they were totally hidden. So the words of God is God's ability to limit, to concentrate, is God's ability to define himself, so to speak. That ability was totally submerged before, before the first symptom. But after the cataclysmic symptom, after that first symptom, the quantum leap, where God totally removed himself and, so to speak, forgot about himself and created an empty space in which his infinite light is not manifest, is hidden, then God's ability to define God's words, God's language, emerged. So that was the first symptom. That was the most radical symptom. There's no other symptom like it. But that's just the beginning. There's a long distance to get, even after God made that symptom. And then He created like an empty space. And then there was a light that emanates into that empty space. So that light is a reflection of the original light, but of course it's just a ray of that light. It's just like one beam of light coming from an infinite light. But even that beam of light is so remote and so far beyond the world of emanation of ten attributes. There's no ten. There's no attributes. It's, 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 it's a reflection of the infinite light. So it's still infinite in a certain sense. And that first level is what, we, what he calls Adam Kadman. And the symptom of Adam Kadman. Adam. Adam. The archetype of the first man. was created by God. What the Talmud says when he was created, he, was, he, was, he reached from heaven to earth. He was a giant. Adam is the archetype of the first world or the first revelation of God within this empty space that ray of light which since the ray of light comes after the first symptom so in comparison to the infinite light of God there's been a radical leap a radical change it's not the same, it's just one little ray of light and that's the world of Adam Kadman what's the world of Adam Kadman? the world of Adam Kadman is the whole. The whole is more than potential. Potential, potential, anything that happens, the, the actual is just the revelation of the potential. The idea of Adam Kadman is where the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. There is a whole, which is the sum total of its part. Klaloprat. There's a whole, a general, and then there's a detail. The de- all the details together make up a general. But there's nothing, there's nothing in the, everything that's in the prat, everything that's in the detail is in the cloud. But this is in a more general form. It's like a forest and a tree. I can see the trees. I can see the forest. But the forest is nothing more than the trees. It's just seeing all the trees together. But there's nothing in the whole that's not in the, in the details. But then there's something else. 
a whole that's greater than the sum total of its parts. For example, take a word, a word. A word is made up of letters. Every letter has a shape. Every letter may have a meaning of its own. When you add all those letters together, each letter is a letter for itself. It's a world apart. Take all the letters and put them together. You end up with a word. The word is not just the sum total of its parts. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. The word has a new meaning, a new definition. It's not just I'm adding building blocks. Okay, two and two and two, and uh, end up with ten. No. Once you put all the letters together, you end up with something totally different, a new dynamic, a new dynamic entity, the whole that's greater than the sum total of its parts. Like the idea of a minion. When you get ten Jews together, it's not just a gathering of ten. You end up with a whole new dynamic, a whole new entity, a tzibur, a community, a whole new dynamic. Greater than the ten Greater parts. than the parts. A true multitasking. Like if you could really multitask. Right. You know, and the human body is like that. The human body is the ultimate multitasker. The human body, simultaneously, in one split second, there are billions of events going on in the human body, in one split second. And all interrelated and interconnected. The human brain is more complex than all of the galaxies put together. The galaxies that we see today. Three billion cells and all of them are connected to each other. It's off the charts. We have no idea how complex the human brain is. Every one of us. And all of this multitask in one split second. There's so many billions of events that happen in the human body. Every human is made up of billions of atoms. And all of this happens in one split second. So the human body is not just a building block of a technical, mechanical Lego. Okay, we put a leg here, and we put a foot here, and we put a hand here, and together we make a, a person. Is the whole greater than its The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. All the that's scientists in the world, because that, that's, that's the nature of life, that's the dynamic of life. All the scientists in the world can't, can't give life to a fly. It's not, we're not just a composite, a building block of, of Lego, of different pieces, of mechanical pieces, and you put it together and you end up with life. No, it doesn't work that way. This is a soul. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. That's the true of org- any org- organic reality. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. But the forest is not greater than the No. Forest, forest, it's a question if I'm going to see the tree, I'm going to see the whole, I see the detail. But, but there's nothing in the forest other than the trees. There's nothing else. So why are we different? But the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. It's not just about details. It's not about the details. Because it's all interrelated, interconnected. The human body, all the organs are interrelated, interconnected. So you're going to say one tree is related and interconnected to the other. But the human body, all... The, every organ is in, intrinsically, inherently interrelated. Your toenail hurts, you, your brain can't think. If there's an illness here, by doing acupuncture on the leg, it affects your brain. All the, all the organisms are interrelated, interconnected. So it's, it's not just details. It's not just a whole made up of many details. It's not details. It's a whole different perspective. It's dynamic. It's interrelated. It's interconnected. There is no separation. Past, present, future. It's not separate points. Point here, present. A point yesterday, a point tomorrow. Here, there, and elsewhere. That's, that's a very linear way of understanding things. The world of Adam Kadmoy, 
from the perspective of the light that comes in into the empty space after the Timsum, it's, it's Adam Kadmin. Adam, Adam was a reflection of the whole universe. Adam was a whole. Adam contained, a human being contained himself the whole universe. When the angels saw Adam, they wanted to bow down to him. They thought he was God. Because he's a microcosm. He contains himself the whole universe. An angel doesn't contain the whole universe. An angel is one dimensional. A human being, especially Adam, the original Adam, before he shrunk, Adam contains the whole universe. It's vibrant, dynamic. This, there is no separation. There is no details, mechanical points, mechanical details. It's one dynamic entity that everything is interrelated and interconnected. Just like when you have a word that's made up of letters, once you get the word, the letters become all connected and interrelated and interlinked and interconnected. It's not just technical, mechanical building blocks that you put together. That's a forest. You take trees and you end up with, you end up with a... You take details and you end up with a, a hole. But here it's a whole different dynamic. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. And therefore, from that perspective, you look at the details differently. There's no difference between the foot and the head. It's all interlinked and interconnected. I don't know which, where it begins and where it ends. Is the foot the head or the, or, the, or, the, or, the, or the head is the foot? Because if the head wants to go to the library, who takes the head to the library? The foot. So the foot is the head. The head is totally dependent on the foot. So who's on top and who's on bottom? I don't know where it begins and ends, like a circle. Everyone is the head, everyone is there, everyone is the bottom, everyone needs each other. It's all interlinked, interconnected, just like the human organism. It's not 248 limbs, 248 building blocks that are separate. When you walk down the street, you don't feel like a bag of bones and, and veins. and you're not just a bag... You're not just a mechanical put together of different parts. You feel like one. One whole, undivisible self. That's how you feel from the inside. That's the world of Adam Kadma, and it's a different world. It's a different universe. It's a universe where there's no difference between up and down. It's all interrelated and interconnected. The whole is greater than the sum total of the parts. Adam Kadma includes the whole universe. From the bottom all the way to the top. And there's no differentiation. It's all one. That's the world of Adam Kadim, which only comes after the Timsum. Before the Timsum, you can't even talk about that. You can't even talk about a whole greater than the sum total of its parts. All there is is God. There's nothing. But after the Timsum, God created, the first world that God created was the world of Adam Kadim. That's the infinite world. Perfect world, the whole. Then comes the Timsum. So he says, and the Timsum of Adam Kadim which is the highest state of existence after the symptom and the primal thought that contains and is the source of all subsequent emanation and creations. Everything exists in Adam Kadma. It says when a Jew, the Mittler Rebbe said, the son of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, he says when a Jew looks at another Jew, you have to see him like Adam Kadman sees him. Don't just see that individual. See him and all his future children and grandchildren until the end of time. See him as a link to all the past and to all the future because it's a different look. From Adam Kadman's, there's no separation. It's one dynamic continuum. Time is one dynamic continuum. Place is one dynamic continuum. Generations are one dynamic continuum. It's a whole different perspective. That's the way we have to look at each other. Don't just see individual. I'm doing a favor to one individual. I'm doing a favor to him and I'm doing a favor to all his ancestors by doing a favor to him and I'm doing a favor to him and to all his children until the end of time. You make one person a baltruva, you help one person find, find his way back home. It's not only you saved his life, his spiritual life. You saved him and you saved his children and his grandchildren until the end of time. 
So it's a whole different, you have to look at, look at that. You have to look at a person from Adam Kadman's perspective. It's a whole different world, a whole different universe. Not the universe that we're used to, that we're familiar with. And then comes the Tzimtzum. So the Tzimtzum from Adam Kadman is to remove us from the world of that whole and to remove us into a world where there are separations and distinctions. It's a whole different universe. We don't see the whole. That dynamic, vibrant whole. That whole that's greater than the sum total of its parts. So that took a tremendous symptom to remove us from the perspective of Adam Kadma and to get us into a reality where everything is separate. And even that world is still remote. Even after that, we needed the esoteric doctrine of the symptom of Dikna. Dikna is, is the beard. is here. Here is a concept of tzimtzum, is the ultimate analogy of tzimtzum. The here is com- connected, connected to the inside. And it draws its life force from the inside. From the brain. Through the skull. The here has a little life. If you pull someone by the here, it's going to hurt. But if you cut off the here, it doesn't hurt. Why? It's life. It has life. If I cut a finger, it's going to hurt. It's part of me. But here I can cut and cut it. It's not part of you. It's part of me and it's not part of me. It's part of me because it's connected to me. It's source. You are the source. It's connected to the brain. And if you pull a person's ear, it will hurt. But it's not part of you. It's not like your brain is giving a piece of itself into your ear. A person who has more ear is, is, has more brains. A person who has no ear loses his brains. The life force that the, that the, that the brain gives to the ear is nothing. It's, it's like a, a radical leap. It, it's, it's insignificant. It's almost nothing. It gives nothing of itself. It, 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 it makes no difference to the brain if you do give life to here or you don't give life to here. If there is here, uh, a person is, is earless. There's no here. Because it's so minute, the, the life force in the here in comparison to the brain, the intellectual power of the brain, the life force is nothing, is, is minute. So it's connected and it comes from it and if you pull a person by the ear, it's going to hurt. But you can cut it off very easily and it means nothing. It doesn't add, it doesn't take away. So that's an, a marshal. Whenever the Torah speaks about God's here, or God seeing God, the, Daniel, Daniel sees God with a long white beard. It's not God, a physical human being sitting in heaven with a long white beard. He's giving us a marshal, he's giving us a parable. That the whole known universe to God is like, is like, is like the radical leap between the inside the life force on the inside, and that life force, the way it reveals itself through the here. How much life force do you reveal through the here? Nothing. Insignificant. So, so that's the level of symptom. There's such a, a jump, there's such a, uh, there's such a distance between the source and, and the, the outcome, the, the, the life force that it gives and it reveals itself. When the brain reveals itself through here, what's it revealing? It's revealing a piece of itself. It's revealing nothing of itself. It's so removed from it that it's almost revealing nothing. So when you talk about a tzimtzum, in order to get from the world, even after the world of Adam Kadman, where God made a tzimtzum and we no longer have that dynamic, vibrant whole that's greater than the sum total of its parts. Now you have just a general, like the forest and the tree. 
But even to jump from the forest to the tree, to get from the forest to the world of emanation, we have ten details, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Ten out of eleven, ten out nine, we have very defined attributes of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and love, and strength, and compassion, etc. Even to get to that level, from the whole, you have to go through a radical, a tremendous symptom which is the symptom of dikna, the symptom of the beard, the symptom of the hair, just like when the brain wants to give of itself and put a piece of itself into the hair, it gives nothing of itself. In order to reveal itself through its hair, so God is revealing himself, the world of emanations, like God revealing himself through hair, which does it reveal anything of the source? Does it reveal the brain? Do I know anything about the brain from the hair? You know, a smart person because he has hair. Do I know anything of the brain from the hair? No. I know nothing of the brain. It's, it's, it's such a minute part of the brain that it means nothing. So when God reveals himself, in order for God to reveal himself and to manifest himself in the world of emanation, the whole world of emanation is like God's beard. Because it's nothing to God. It's so, it's so distant, so remote, to get from the, the, the millions and billions of levels that are beyond the world of emanation. To get to a world that's linear, to get to a world from a world that's beyond linear and to get to a world that's linear, it's such a big symptom. Tremendous symptom. So it's like God revealing, all he's revealing is his ear. How much of his brain is he revealing? How much of the source is he revealing? Nothing. There's almost no connection between Tensvirot, this linear Hishtalshalut chain reaction in comparison to its source. So much so that we say that wisdom comes from nothing. Wisdom doesn't even know its source. It seems like it comes from nowhere, from a darkness. Because it's, it's, there's no connection. I can't see the connection. Just like you don't see the connection between the ear and the brain. You don't see the connection between the ten attributes and its source. Which is beyond, totally beyond. So these are, he's just giving us some insights of the, of the levels of tzimtzum. In order to get from God, from the infinite light, to get to our world, not only our world, to get to the world of attributes, the world of emanation, has to go through the Tzimtzum Mauritian and then the Tzimtzum of the world of Ak, and then the Tzimtzum of the world of Dikna. Anyone who has any insights into Kabbalah realizes how remote our world is. How, what a speck we are. The whole universe, our whole world, all the big attributes that we praise God and we think that we understand and we, the world of spirit and the world of the mind and the world of intellect. And the, it's a speck. It's nothing. It's significant. It's not even the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. We know nothing. So instead of being so carried away by ourselves, and carried away by our level of understanding and our meditation and our spirituality and our religiosity and our sublime. It's, it's, this, it's so vast, it's so huge, it's so infinitely beyond us. It gives us a very healthy sense of, a sense of awe of what we're dealing with. It puts us in place, gives us a perspective. That's why there's nothing here after we go. The life force that animates here is exceedingly attenuated. And the esoteric doctrine of the symptom of Dikna, the life force that animates here is exceedingly attenuated to the point that cutting it causes no pain. Accordingly, the terms Dikna, literally beard, and Sairot here are used to represent a certain form of Tzimtzum. 
for the underlying purpose of all the contractions is to condense the light in order to enable it to become enclosed within the vessels of a ten svirot of the world of Atsilas. These vessels assume the specific form of wisdom or kindness. By contrast, the divine light that permeates these vessels is essentially simple. When through tzimtzum the vessels come into being and the light closes itself within them and becomes fused with them, wisdom and kindness become one with God. It is only after the Ein Sof light becomes clothed in the vessels of Chabad, of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, that Maimonides' statement about the Holy One, blessed be He, is in place, that He is the knower, and He is the knowledge, and He is the known. And by knowing Himself, He knows all creation. Then you can talk about God being a knower. For the vessels of Atzilut become the soul and life force of the worlds of Bria, Yitzira, Nasiya, the world of action, the world of formation, and the world of creation, and all the creatures within. By knowing himself with the knowledge that is to be found in the vessels of Atzilut, he also knows all the worlds and creatures of Bria, Yitzira, and Nasiya, since they derive their life force from these vessels. So since God knows himself, by knowing himself, he knows... Everything that's going on in the world, everything that exists in the world, down to the lowest, lowest creature. All this, however, can only come about after the various tzimtzumim have brought about the contractions of the light, enabling it to be vested in the vessels of Attilus, only going through all these tzimtzumim, from the tzimtzum Arishan, the first tzimtzum, then the tzimtzum of the world of Ak, and then the tzimtzum of the world of Hir, which only brings us to the world of emanation which enables the vessels, the ten svirot, ten attributes, and then the infinite light encloses itself, expresses itself, with, unifies itself with the vessels, then you could talk about God's wisdom and God's knowledge and God's knowing. However, without the aforesaid tzimtzum and investiture of the light in the vessels, it is not at all appropriate to say that he is the knower and he is the knowledge, i.e. the whole category of knowledge cannot be ascribed to God even in so exalted manner as in the statement that he is the knower. For he is not within the realm and domain of knowing and knowledge at all, God forbid. You can't call God knowledge. The infinite light is beyond knowledge. You can't define God. You can't call God knowledge. God is not undefined. God is not knowledge. Knowledge to God is like action. It's like saying God, God is, a, is a hand. God is a hammer. Just like you can't say, you can't say the sense of touch. You can't use a sense of touch regarding God. Even in the Torah, when the Torah uses analogies, and the Torah says the eyes of God, the ears of God, the Torah never says the, 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 the finger of God, the touch of God, because God is removed from the sense of touch. You can't equate God with physical, with material. So to God, wisdom is like material, like he said earlier, like he explained earlier, at great length. So you can say that God is knowledge. It's like saying that God touches. But knowledge, touch, what... God is so removed from it. But infinitely elevated above even the level and the bounds of wisdom. For even the statement that he is the knower implies restricting God, so to speak, to one particular faculty, vis-a-vis wisdom, as distinct from, say, the attributes of kindness and mercy. God, however, utterly transcends all such bounds. To the extent that in relation to him, the level of wisdom is considered like the level of physical action. End of note. So to God, it's both correct. God is infinite and God is undefined and you can't attribute... God is akhadosh baruch God is transcendent, God is holy, God is removed from any definition, from any description. At the same time, God emanates from within Himself the attribute of knowledge, the attribute of wisdom, 
And through all the tzimtzumim, the infinite tzimtzumim, the tremendous amount of tzimtzumim, concentrations and reductions and limitations, God encloses His infinite light in these vessels and they become one with God, like a body becomes one with the soul and they are transparent to God, just like the body, all you see is the soul, the body is just goes out of the way, the body is totally egoless, unself-conscious, all you see is the soul, the soul comes right through the body, the body is just totally inseparable from the soul, these attributes, divine attributes, become totally inseparable from God, and therefore they become transparent to God, and God's infinite self is concentrated and revealed through these attributes, and then you can say that God knows everything and everyone and everything that's going on, and you can talk about God's knowledge, and they're absolutely one with an absolute unity with God. So God is absolutely one. Him and His attributes are absolutely one. And they're absolutely unified. And ultimately, this is the mystery of faith. We don't understand exactly how this is possible, but only God could be infinite and at the same time be defined, at the same time reveal Himself, willingly choose to define Himself, define the undefined, and reveal Himself and concentrate Himself, just like He concentrates Himself in the Holy of Holies. God concentrates Himself and reveals Himself through his attributes to be continued. Lessons in Tanya taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.